May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first person I ever played poker with was my grandfather, John Hebel. If you grew up in a Methodist church, you probably have not heard many sermons that start with the word poker. Um, if you didn't, you may not know what's going on. Many years ago, Methodists were known for basically two things, not drinking and not gambling. Um, my, my, same, my same grandfather, and his, they planted a church in Lake Jackson, Texas, when Lake Jackson was built, and that church had a vote about whether or not they would be temperate. Um, and they voted against it. Um, it was a dry county, but that was, that was just where they decided to, to lean on. But I learned poker from my grandfather, John Hebel, and he, we didn't bet money. He didn't like gambling large sums. He would complain about gambling a nickel um, if you did this, even though he owned his own business. He was, it was, that's the way he was. Um, but we would play with chips and pretend, and there would always be lots of wild cards. Um, he loved playing Dr. Pepper, which meant that tens, twos, and fours were wild, which go back to an old Dr. Pepper commercial um, that told you to drink a Dr. Pepper at 10, 2, and 4, which seems like a lot of sugar, but, <laughs> but that's, what, that's what it would do. And so 10, 2s, and 4s are what, like 12 wild cards. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty wild and crazy game going on, and he'd expect us to, you know, whenever we had a chance to, to deal, he would, uh, we would pick our own wild cards and go around. But there's, there's an old adage in poker that if you sit down at a table and you can't figure out the sucker, you can't find the sucker, you are the sucker. <laughs> and I've been thinking about that and thinking about that with this passage today. Poker is a game where you don't want to be deceived. That's like if you're really playing, if you're not playing with your grandfather, if you're playing online or you're going to other places to do it, the big part is you don't want to be deceived, you want to be the, de the deceiver. You want to be the one who bluffs their way through it. But what does that have to do with love. My brothers and sisters, we are continuing our series in the season of Easter on, on the works of love, on how we respond to the amazing miracle of Christ's resurrection and the things that we can do in response, how we can put that into practice. Last week, we talked about how love builds up, how love is the foundation of our, our lives that God loved us before we were aware of God's presence with us and that we're called to build others up and not to tear them down. Today, I'm just gonna focus on this one phrase in this verse, love believes all things. Next week, Pastor Matt is going to preach on the exact same verse and so we'll see how, how different it is. Um, but, but that's it. I'm just gonna focus on love believes all things. The whole chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is this amazing, beautiful poem. I mean, there's a reason why it's, it's read at so many weddings. It's, it's beautiful in any language. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. Love bears all things, endures all things, hopes all things. But then Paul, in this part, love bears all things, starts off, love is patient, and it's like, okay, I guess I can be patient. Love is kind. I'll try to be kind. Love, love endures all things. Like, whoa, Paul, wait a minute. <laughs> love believes all things. It's like, wait a minute, Paul, this is getting excessive, right? I mean, have you seen the internet? <laughs> like, there's a lot of people selling you stuff. 
There's a lot of people calling. There's a lot of people who think my car warranty is expired. I don't know if that's happened to you. If I believed all things, I would have so many warranties right now. I mean, like with all scriptures, we have, a, we have an opportunity to take it seriously or to take it unseriously. Usually, you know, to take it unseriously is to go in that vine. Like, oh, come on, Paul, you don't really mean all things. Like, Paul, like, you haven't seen it. You haven't seen the things in this world. We got to be realistic, Paul. In order to take Paul seriously, though, we need to think about a few different responses and possible responses to, to all the things. There's the naive response. The naive response believes something because it was said. There's the wicked response. The wicked response believes something because it's bad. If it's a bad thing, they'll believe it. If it's not bad, they're not going to believe it. The yes man believes whatever the boss says. Yes, sir. Um, the, um, the troll, the internet troll, believes anything that will make the people they don't like upset. And so they look for things that will make people they don't like upset, and that's that's the, the depth of the, the mire of the online world. There's also the mistrustful one. The mistrustful one believes in nothing. The mistrustful one does the opposite of what love does. The opposite of love is not evil or wickedness. The opposite of love is mistrust. Mistrust that views other people in our lives as competition or threats. It sees the world as threats. Mistrust divides the world between us and them and constantly is trying to attack them and defend us. Yet in Paul's letter to the Galatians, Paul says, whoever is in Christ Jesus, there is a new creation. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither Greek nor Jew. There is neither man and woman. For all are one in Christ Jesus. All are one in Christ Jesus. To be, believe in all things, is to be unafraid of being the sucker at the table. To be unafraid of of looking, to not try to look like the smartest person in the room. It can be kind of scary and nervous, but love believes all things. So, these are ways of responding to the world. How do we believe all things? Does believing all things believe all those things on the internet? Does it mean believing all those phone calls for car warranties? Paul didn't have the internet. He didn't know this kind of stuff we have to deal with. But I don't think Paul is talking about people far away. In in his letter to 1 Corinthians, almost every chapter is about a specific issue within the Corinthian church. He's talking about people in church together. He's talking about people worshiping together. He's talking about individual families and people that he knows. He's not talking about what's going on over in in France or Germania. He's talking about what is going on in that Corinthian church that is full of divisions. That is what he is pointing to. Paul is saying that if your heart is full of love, you're willing to be deceived. Being a sucker is not the worst thing that can happen to you. In fact, if you are truly, a truly loving one, cannot be deceived. Because, only, because to try and deceive that person is to deceive themselves. If I try to deceive someone who loves me, yes, 
If I, that's a good example. If I try to deceive my wife, I am the one who is deceiving myself. <laughs> like that is, that, is, that is the foolhardy nature. If I try to de- deceive my children, I am the one who am being deceived. I am deceiving myself into thinking that that is going on. A good example of this is a, a song by the Ava Brothers called The Ballad of, of Love and Hate. I'm going to try this on my backpacker. So, but this is, is a song, um, it's an allegory about love and hate. I'm not going to do the full, the full song, it's just a, a few of the verses. Love writes a letter, sends it to hate. My vacation's ending, I'm coming home late. Weather was fine and the ocean was great And I can't wait to see you again Hate reads the letter and throws it away I really don't care if you go or you stay Barely even noticed that you were away. I'll see you or I won't. Whatever. Okay, so that's the first two verses. There's a bunch of great verses. It's a great song. Oh, we're not done yet. <laughs> okay. Um, and so it goes through this, and it's kind of this like verse after, or stanza after stanza. It's like love is doing good love stuff, and hate is doing bad hate stuff. So this is, this is the last two verses. Love lies patient. Patient and kind Just wanting a phone call Or some kind of sign That the one that she longs for Who's out of his mind Will make it back safe in her arms Hate arrives late Suitcase and tow Oh, hold on a second There we go. Hate stumbles forward and leans on the door. Weary head hung low and eyes to the floor. I got the rest of it. Don't worry. (laughs) He says, love, I'm sorry. And she says, what for? I'm yours. And that's it. Whatever. Should not have been gone for so long I'm yours and that's it forever You're mine and that's it forever Thank you. I love that song. Thank you. <laughs> but, but love is not deceived. Like the, the power of that song is love is not deceived even though, even though the person she loves in this song, termed hate, is like threw the letter away, is like spinning around, I'm not coming home, I don't need it. Her love is not deceived in his um, lack of love, in his mistrust. He deceives himself over and over again until he is finally overwhelmed by her love. So what does that mean practically? Pastor, I mean, I think this is a good question. Love believes all things. It's pretty general. It's not very concrete. Again, there's a lot of things, right? There's a lot of things in the world. There's probably more things in the world now than Paul had to deal with. What does that mean? It's a nice song and a nice sentiment. It's good to be patient, but there is a limit, right? We've got to be responsible. We've got to be responsible. 
Many of you have really important jobs or you've had really important jobs. You've had very important positions of authority where you've had to make decisions. Decisions about hiring and firing people. Decisions about the future of your company or your organization. Responding to situations. You've had to make critical decisions for your family about where you're going to live, what you're going to do, what school they're going to go to. All of you have made these critical decisions. But we have to be weary of putting ourselves into the position of heavenly HR representatives, looking out and deciding where others need and what others deserve. Jesus didn't come to die on the cross to show us how to have best practices for a heavenly business. Jesus offers us life eternal in the scarcity of this world. It is beyond the scarcity of these decisions that we've had to make, God's love overflows and offers itself to us. Let us not think about believing all things from a position of righteousness, but from the opposite position. Paul isn't giving us an ethical guideline of how to live our lives. I mean, it's not saying, like, if you're not patient, you go to hell. If you're not kind, you go to hell. Instead, what Paul is offering us is a glimpse of how Jesus lives and how Jesus loves Throughout this passage, you can replace the word love with Jesus, and it's just as powerful. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not boast. Jesus endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Jesus loves. This is how we understand how Jesus loves. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus is not a sucker for believing in you. Jesus is not deceived when he believes in you. And Jesus has seen all the things. Jesus is not a sucker for believing in me. And if I try to deceive God, who is the one really being deceived? That's right. Thank you. See, children, they understand it. They already get it. Even when you've burned every bridge... And refuse to admit you're hitting rock bottom. Jesus believes in you. Believes in you. So we should trust others when they're not worthy of that trust. Not because we are so great, but because God is so great. In the Gospels, when Jesus is asked how many times to forgive another person, he says not seven times, but seven times seven times, or seven times 77 times. And what he's saying is not that, okay, you should forgive this person 49 times, or in the other translation, you should forgive them 539 times, but that 540th time, then you should lay it unto him. That's not what Jesus is saying. And he illustrates this in the Gospel of Matthew with this parable, that there, were, there was a king who wanted to settle his accounts. And so a man came forward um, who owed him a lot of money. He owed him 10,000 bags of gold which, you know, in today's market is a lot. Um, He owed them a lot. Because the servant didn't have enough to pay back, the master ordered that he should be sold along with his wife and children and everything he had, and that the proceeds should be used for payment. But the servant fell down, kneeled before him, and said, please be patient with me. Please, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. And the master had compassion on the servant released him and forgave the loan. 10,000 bags of gold forgave the loan. 
When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 coins. He said, he grabbed him around the throat and said, pay me back what you owe me. Then his fellow servant fell down and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused and instead threw him in prison. When his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply offended. They came and told their master what had happened. His master called the first servant and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you appealed to me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? It's so easy to fall into the trap of receiving mercy and then refusing to give it. We can, we can, we can justify and rationalize it and with, with responsibility, with thinking, oh, that was yesterday. That was yesterday's news. Today is a different thing. I've got to take care of today or I've got to plan for tomorrow. I've got to do all these things. But it is an act of faith to stop putting ourselves in the position of judgment. It is an act of faith to not put ourselves in the position of God, to be the one looking out and seeing the righteousness of the people around us. Let us stop putting ourselves in these positions. Let us come humbly to the table that Christ offers to us. Let us not receive mercy and turn around and spit on our brothers and sisters. Let's turn around and share that mercy. And again, it doesn't start with the people on the internet. It doesn't start with people far away. It starts with the people right here in this room. It starts with the people in your life, the people in your household. That's where where God's love begins. If we can't practice it there, we cannot practice it far away. Jesus believes in you. Jesus forgives you. This is what it means to believe all things and not be deceived. It's hard to be willing to be a sucker for Jesus. That's not a great t-shirt tagline. I'm a sucker for Jesus. Um, It doesn't work that way. We need other people. This is why Jesus calls his disciples in twos. He calls them together. He gathers them together. This is why we have a body of Christ so that we can lift each other up together so we can remind each other about the main thing of God's love for us, that we can remind each other that when we are acting like the wicked servant and be like, hey, Wilson, remember when God forgave you? Remember that? We can remind each other and lift each other up. We are not members of a club with a secret handshake. We are members of the body of Christ, and that is why we need each other. The hand can't do what the foot does, nor can the ear do what the eye does. This is what it means to join the church. Joining the church doesn't get you a, like a secret code to get a discount at restaurants in the area, though that'd be kind of cool. Um, <laughs> it, is a, it is a public claim that I commit to this body. I commit to these people and they're committing to me. That, that, that claim and that announcement, God works through that. God has continued to work through that over the centuries of calling people together to make a public statement that I believe and God's love for me, that I have received God's mercy for me. This is why we baptize. We baptize children, we baptize adults, we baptize people who seek God's mercy. We do not withhold God's grace and God's mercy. God believes in you. We hope to be a place where we can proclaim that to each other. God believes in you. Jesus believes in you. You are worthy. You are beautiful. And you can show love in this world. It doesn't end there. We don't have to be the wicked servants. We can be the children of God sharing love 
in our community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.